Hello there, and welcome to the fifth episode of Tatooine Table Flip, the podcast. I'm Jimmy, and this week I'll be talking about board game news, games I've played recently, and anything else that strikes my fancy. There's lots of news to get to this week, so I think we should just dive right in. First of all, I was delayed a day on the podcast. I apologize for that, but boy, am I glad I was, because sneaking in right at the last second is my first piece of news that has me ridiculously excited. It's about Fantasy Flight's announcement. The companion app for Imperial Assault is coming, quote unquote, soon. Now, I know, I know, we've been hearing that for some time now, but this time soon might actually mean soon, as they've posted a fairly large article about it on their website, as well as the rulebook. The rulebook, you say? Well, yeah, you see, it seems as if the app will sort of be its own thing, parallel to the campaign and skirmish modes. Initially, it will focus on just the core set with expansions added in eventually. So as your collection grows, you tell the app what you own, and then it can select and track more and more things in-game. The app takes the place of the Imperial player, making the game completely co-op. This also means that we can now play the game solo if we aren't able to gather any of our friends for a game. There's some screenshots available at FFG's website along with the article, and I urge you to go over and check that out. It's actually a pretty good little read. I'm very excited for it. I love Imperial Assault, and so this announcement has just made my day. Mayfair Games, makers of Settlers of Catan and this year's hit Baron Park seem to be in some sort of a shake-up. It looks like the company is in some kind of trouble with some layoffs happening recently and the company rumored to have been closed since November 2nd. This isn't the first time the company has seen some trouble as back in 1997 the company shut down and was bailed out by Iron Crown Enterprises who purchased most of the company's assets and restarted operations as Iron Wind Incorporated. Then in 2007, Peter Fenton became CEO amid a major reorganization that focused on core brands including Catan. Then in January of 2016, the company transferred all of the publishing, commercial, and brand rights for all of the English-language Catan products to a new subsidiary of the Asmodee Group, Catan Studio. Fenton then left the company to become the CEO of that new company. Any further details are scarce at the moment, but I'm hoping that a lot of the outstanding games they publish won't just simply disappear. I'll keep you guys updated here with any further developments, but right now it seems the furor has died down, and that means that details or any other news has pretty much dried up. WizKids has partnered with Wizards of the Coast for various games, some pretty good, some not so much. They've announced that they're bringing the world of Magic the Gathering to the tabletop in both a miniatures game and a board game. They attempted this once before with Duel of the Planeswalkers based on uh, some of the old HeroScape system, but the game pretty much tanked miserably, even considering that there were many folks who bought the base set just for the terrain. Recently, that base set is going for uh, around five bucks, depending on where you find it, and usually I see comments like, it's worth that for the minis alone. I played it once, and in my opinion, it wasn't very good. I still own it, but it's never seen play since that first time, so I'm kind of wary of this announcement. Let me read you a little bit from the press release for the new games. 
The initial pre-painted sculpted miniatures will focus on token creatures card favorites, adding a premium touch to the player's tabletop experience, while the board game will pull from the original trading card lore. Players will play as planeswalkers, exploring the landscape of Dominaria as they establish connections to their mana sources, gathering power before their opponents do and building their hand of spell cards. Hmm. Both of these are currently scheduled for release in late 2018. Seven Wonders is finally out for iOS as we speak, but I incorrectly reported last episode that it would be out for Android on the 20th. It's actually December 20th. I apologize for any confusion this may have caused you guys. That's totally on me. One Deck Dungeon is a dungeon crawler that's all card driven. I own it and it's loads of fun. Handelabra Games has a Kickstarter for a digital version they're bringing to Steam, and now they've announced that they're bringing the digital version to mobile platforms, one month after the release of the Steam version. You can go to OneDeckDigital.com, but it seems for now it's just a portal to their Kickstarter page. Wizards of the Coast announced on Friday that they have Betrayal Legacy coming out, based on the game Betrayal at House on the Hill. It's a legacy game designed by Rob Davio and is due in the fall of 2018. Yeah, a year from now. According to new announcements made at this last weekend's PAX Unplugged convention, it'll include a prologue and a 13-chapter story arc that takes place over decades with characters aging over the course of the story. This sounds really exciting and I can't wait to play it but ah year out what the heck Sherlock Holmes consulting detective is getting another set in early 2018 named Carlton House and Queens Park the set consists of many old cases being reprinted and uh, revised if you've downloaded the companion app and if you haven't shame on you you've already noticed it's included in there but is inoperable I love the first two sets and can't wait to dig into more adventures. The game is so, so good. The next thing you can file under, holy crap, that snuck up on me. D-Day Dice was a very popular war-themed dice game that had a relatively short printing, but was hugely popular. Original sets have been commending premium prices on the secondary market since its apparent demise. Well... The game is getting a second chance at life, you guys, thanks to WordForge Games via Kickstarter. Streamlined and revised rules, updated graphics, and an update pack for those of you with the first version of the game are what the new version purports to sport. Purports to sport. Purports to sport. Say that three times fast. (laughs) All right, well, that's it for the news, so now it's time for games I've played this week. I've played quite a few games, but not nearly as many as I'd like, as I found myself quite busy. I have a few new pieces of content coming out for the YouTube show, and that's putting a huge demand on my time. Still, I like to try to carve out a few hours a week here and there to get some games in. And the first one uh, we'll talk about here is Steam Torpedo. This is one I picked up at one of the Barnes & Noble Red Dot sales on a whim, as it just... Had a cool title, and uh, looking over the box and reading the back of it and stuff, it just seemed like a neat little game, and it really is exactly that. It's a really nice little tile-laying game in which you and a friend build the perfect submarine 
and then you just get to fighting each other. There's kind of a deep game here with some really interesting decisions. It's a favorite of mine now that I don't get to the table nearly often enough. So this last week, I, I got a couple of games in with it. The next one is Ars Alchemia, and this one comes from Tasty Minstrel Games. It's a, I don't know, to me, kind of a strange little worker placement game that sees you uh, alchemically transforming things into other things in attempt to fulfill orders. It's pretty straightforward and kind of simple, but uh, I enjoyed it. You know, if I, I don't play worker placement games too often, and this one was quick to set up, easy to play, and, uh, you know, we played through it twice, and it was a lot of fun. Another one I played is Cave vs. Cave. This one is from Mayfair Games and is a simplified version of Caverna. If you ripped everything except the cave bit out of Caverna, what you'd have left is Cave vs. Cave. It's an interesting one head-to-head, -head, but I think I prefer to play it solo. It's an interesting puzzle that I find I come back to for a quick gaming fix as I slowly inch my way towards figuring out higher and higher scores. My next one is very nearly my favorite game ever, and that is Elder Sign from Fantasy Flight Games. It is uh, probably my very favorite solo game. See, I love dice games and dice placement games even more so, and this one sees you as an investigator running down clues and other nonsense within the Lovecraftian verse. Yeah, that's a word. The cards lay out your adventure pretty well, and it's almost always deeply engrossing as you attempt to stop the coming of one of the great old ones. The base set replay value is gold here, and this is the one I've played a couple of times this week. But with uh, all of the expansions, the game explodes into possibilities so vast, it sometimes is nearly a completely different game. And uh, let's see, what else have I played this week? I have played Vikings Gone Wild. This is from Lucky Duck Games and is a new one for me. It's all cards, but it's a worker placement deck builder without the workers. Some decent choices to be made in the game, and it feels like it gives the player some real agency overall. I really liked playing it, and I see myself getting it to the table quite a bit. The last one I played this week is called Torres, and this one comes from IDW Games, and it's kind of an odd duck. However, it's ridiculously fun. I keep seeing comparisons made to Santorini, but besides stacking things on top of things, I think the similarity ends there. This is a reprinted version and sports some really nice plastic components. I thought I'd be bored, but really I had a lot of fun playing this one, and I think it'll make a fantastic filler game. I'm looking forward to playing it again really, really soon, and I'll have a proper review of it up on the YouTube show as soon as I possibly can. Okay, the next segment I'd like to go into is called an IP that I'd like to see as a game. And I didn't have one last week, but this week I've chosen one that is a, that's kind of an odd one maybe. Uh, it's an old Japanese drama that I really, really like and have liked for a lot of years, and I think it's probably the very first one I ever saw. It's definitely the first one I ever remember seeing in that uh, type of show. The program is called Salaryman Kintaro, and it's about an ex-leader of a biker game whose wife dies in childbirth, and so he's left with their young son. 
and he decides to kind of go straight. And uh, by sheer accident, meaning he saves the life of the head of a major corporation, he then has the opportunity to become uh, an office worker who in Japan are referred to as salarymen. And uh, the series um, runs through a lot of his uh, misadventures and successes and uh, that sort of thing as the program goes on. And uh, I think yeah, this one was a kind of a tough one for me. It's something I'd really like a game based on the property, but I don't want to just say, oh, let's have another miniatures game, you know. So this one, even though I'm not very good at social deduction games, since the show is based around his interactions with other representatives of other companies and uh, clients and that sort of thing, I thought this might this might make a really neat sort of a social deduction type of game. If not deduction, maybe just some sort of a, a social game. So realistically, maybe all it would take was just a a packet of cards representing the characters and uh, then some situations that they threw you into based on some of the situations that Kintaro found himself in in the show. And uh, I know that, ah, God, see, it just, that all sounds kind of lame, but uh, that was the, that was the one I wanted to talk about a little bit this week, but I'm so lousy at the social games and the social deduction games that I'm just not familiar with that type of stuff. Not as much as I should be anyway. And so it's sort of, I sort of boomeranged a weird puzzle to myself. (laughs) And uh, yeah, so that was a tough one. So I, I think that would be the best game to serve that sort of property. But hey, if you guys have an IP you'd like to see as a game, shoot me an email or a tweet and I I might read it out on a future uh, episode. Now it's time for a segment I like to call Top 10 All-Time Whatever Games Until Next Week. This week is the Top 10 All-Time Star Wars Games Until Next Week. At number 10, I have Empire vs. Rebellion, the card game. Well, this is a first of a few card games to make the list and is a Star Wars themed re-implementation of the game Cold War CIA versus KGB. It's a simple trick-taking game in which the player with the most points wins. There were a few other Star Wars games I considered for this slot, but I like the quick and easy play and portability of this one. It makes for both a good opener and a great pub game. Just chuck it in your backpack or your pocket and go. There's not a lot of strategy or deep decision-making here, but it's fun nonetheless. At number nine, I have Star Wars Epic Duels. And this is a bit of a strange one for me. So you can have any character across the original recipe trilogy or the prequel recipe trilogies fight each other via card-driven combat system in one of many locations ripped from said trilogies. It's minis on a map, and I love it. It's so far down my list, though, because it's thin. It's very thin. At number eight is Star Wars Risk Original Recipe Trilogy Edition. I love Risk, but ultimately, I'm pretty bored by it these days. This version has, just like most other versions of Risk, boatloads of tiny minis and a beautiful board. Of course, all Star Wars themed. 
one of the original area control games. This offers some great gameplay if it sees the table only once or twice a year. It's a standard and a good one at that. The Star Wars theme just ups it a few notches for me. At number 7, I have the Star Wars Interactive VCR game. Now, back before I was a board gamer, I was a Star Wars, shall we say, enthusiast, and would buy pretty much anything Star Wars related. I bought this game simply because of the branding, and ended up being amazed at just how good the game is. Played in one real-time hour, your job is to plant bombs around the station, but beware for someone in your group is going to turn to the dark side and start hunting you and foiling your plans. The accompanying video is mostly a shot of space with the Death Star marking your progress via a bar across the top of the screen, but every so often Darth Vader will pop up trying to whammy you and your group, eventually succeeding in turning one of you into his new apprentice. At number six, I have the Star Wars Destiny two-player starter set. I ignored this game for one reason. I did not want to crawl down the CCG model money pit again. When FFG announced the game, I was also worried that that spelled the doom for the Star Wars LCG, a game that I had sunk a significant amount of time and money into. This meant that the Destiny had two strikes against it before it even released. I eventually picked up the two-player starter set and Boy, am I glad I finally relented. It really is a very good game, you guys. Seeing numerous plays the evening I bought it. It's not an innovative system. You have a deck of cards and associated dice to go with it. But this starter set is pretty balanced, and really it's just a silly little blast to play. At number five, I have the old Decipher Star Wars CCG. And... This is very likely the game that made me a gamer. Based around the original recipe trilogy, one player is the dark side while the other is the light side. Visit locations and do battle at each to gain control of the location. With nothing more than a deck needed to play, the tight, elegant rule set brought everything I needed in a game experience to the table. I was crazy for this game. I did nothing with every minute of my free time, except play this game, play this game, play this game. Unfortunately, it suffered some power creep late in its tenure and eventually collapsed under its own weight as more and more new rules were heaped upon it. Still, those early days were some of the best I can remember as a gamer. At number four, I have Star Wars Assault on Hoth. This is an old... West End Games, uh, what they used to call a bookshelf-style board game, and it almost made it into the number one slot just by sheer dint of replayability. I've had this game since it's released, and it's seen more plays than many of the games in my collection combined. It covers strictly the Battle of Hoth and has you and a friend taking the roles of either Luke Skywalker and the Rebels or the evil Darth Vader in the Empire. As the Empire, your goal is to destroy the shield generators on Hoth, while as the Rebels, you simply have to hold them off until everyone is evacuated. An easy but not simple rule set combined with a medium-weight set of interesting decisions to form a very satisfying game experience. So, uh, why isn't it number one? 
the components. While I thought the components were fantastic when the game was released, the sort of cheap feeling cardboard chits don't really do much for me in this age of high quality punch boards and detailed plastic minis. Still, it's one of my very favorite fallback games and I will get it to the table at every opportunity. At number three, I have Imperial Assault. With either campaign or scenario-based game choices, this is essentially two games in one box. Now, with the announcement of the app, it's going to be essentially three games in one box. I love minis on a map games, and this one doesn't disappoint me at all. It never has. It's a nice boots-on-the-ground, squad-based combat game wherein you and a few friends choose teams and, in the case of the campaign, work towards an ultimate goal. Alternatively, you can get some quick one-off games in should you go for the skirmish scenarios. There's so much released for this monster of a system now that you could very well never see two games play out the same way. At number two, I have Rebellion. Star Wars in a box. This is how I've heard this medium-heavy hidden movement war game described, and I don't disagree. It was barely edged out of the number one spot for being not quite as fun as the game that landed at number one. This isn't a fault of the game, it's a fault of mine. See, I'm no good at deduction games, as I mentioned earlier, at all. So, unfortunately, I can only ever play the Rebels. You and a friend take up sides as either the Rebellion or the Empire, and while the Rebel base is hidden and they run around recruiting missions and the like, the Empire is attempting to locate the hidden base to smash them where they live. Setup and game time can be a bit longish, and the combat system is wonky, though this is supposedly fixed by the expansion. I have it, but I haven't played it yet, so I can't really speak to it. And there's, however, a ridiculous amount of cool components, and you get to sort of write your own version of the OG trilogy stories. So, yeah, pretty, pretty good game. At number one, I have Star Wars The Queen's Gambit. And this one is absolutely the single best Star Wars game ever. Until next week. This was gifted to me for my birthday the year it came out, and I played it at least once a day for the following year. One single buddy of mine and I would play the game and keep a running tally of wins and losses, as I said, very nearly a year. It was it was really a great gaming experience for that, that whole time. And even now, I get it to the table whenever I can. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of a beast to set up, but it is so worth it, you guys. And I know it's out of print, but I'm telling you, if you can get into it for under a couple of hundred, maybe, it's, it's really worth it. it don't, don't buy a beat-up copy for that much. But yeah, if, if you can fit that into your budget, it's absolutely worth the kind of premium price that it's going for these days. It's based on the prequels, so, you know, ugh, there's that. But it's a programmed action game with a bit of dice chucking thrown in. You and a friend take the sides of the Tread Federation or the Republic, and the movie's most famous battles, such as the epic duel between Darth Maul and Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan, are recreated across three separate battlefields. It's an epic game with loads and loads of minis, a giant 3D building in the center, and clear concise rules. Beyond all that, it's simply just so fun to play. It is 
a blast to play that game. The Anakin against the Trade Federation droid control ship is a bit goofy, and the game can be a bit swingy, but otherwise, it's very nearly a perfect game. Hey guys, this podcast is a companion piece to my YouTube board game show, Tatooine Table Flip, where I give reviews and unboxings of some really great games. The episodes are all ad-free, and if you like the show, please subscribe. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, please head over and leave me a review and or a rating. It'll help folks find the show easier, and I'd really appreciate it. Thanks. I also invite you to become a producer of both this podcast and the review show by visiting my Patreon page located at patreon.com slash Tatooine Tableflip. Help us keep the lights on by supporting the shows with every bit of support feeding back into the programs, enabling me to bring you more and more content. You can find Tatooine Tableflip, the podcast, on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Google Play, and probably any other platform you prefer to hear your podcasts from. You can find me online at BoardGamerBlues.com or on Twitter and Facebook at BoardGamerBlues, all one word, or email me directly at J-I-M-M-I-E at BoardGamerBlues.com. I think that'll do it for this episode, you guys. Thanks so much for listening, everybody, and I will see you next week.